0: Hey podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual Biblical Symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8 to 9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible as Literature podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at EphesusSchool.org. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Priorities control a person's speech. If a pastor's goal is to share the words of the Bible, he will speak the words of the Bible. If his goal is to grow his parish, he will add to or subtract from the words of Scripture to appeal to his target audience ignoring the Lord's warning in Matthew 7, verse 6, to protect what is holy. In Matthew, this kind of teacher is singled out as a false prophet, easily identifiable, Jesus explains, by the content of what is taught and by its outcome. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos,
1: And this is Dr. Richard Benton.
0: And you are listening to episode 262 of the Bible as Literature podcast. So last time we talked about the narrow gate, and it's important to remember that this entire section in Matthew chapter 7 is dealing with the importance of protecting what is holy, of making sure that you keep what you received pure, you don't add to it, or subtract from it, when you insert your judgment of the other into the teaching you are adding to the teaching. So to pass through the narrow gate is to submit to this instruction. You are neither to add nor subtract. You are held accountable to every kereya and every iota. You are not allowed to judge your neighbor, and you must treat others as you would have them treat you. Now, if you submit in this way, it's not going to have a broad appeal.
1: It's being protective of this teaching, not adding to it, not taking away from it, not engaging in discussion, in argumentation. You simply go and teach this teaching. As soon as you start noticing that it's popular is when you need to be careful People think they have to be careful when they start losing people from the church, from their building. You have to be careful that you're getting too many people. You have to be wary of someone who comes in and is so nice and so kind and so funny and so entertaining, and he gets just great crowds of people, and so many people love to hear his message, and it's so wonderful, and everyone just feels good and uplifted every time he comes. You have to be so careful of that. Because those people are the very ones who need you, who need you to give to them, who need you to support them, to give him life. This is a sick individual who comes in to a community and laughs and jokes because he needs the people in the parish to like him. This is a deep sickness. The one who comes in because he needs people to like him is looking for people to accompany him on the wide way. Not on the narrow way, because the narrow way is, like we said, about giving up the ego. And if someone comes in talking about how great you are and how nice you are, and how uh, this is to feed your ego, but it's ultimately to devour your soul for their own hunger.
0: You know, we talked a week ago, Richard, at St. Elizabeth, about the problem of teachers or caregivers needing to be needed by others. Anytime someone is making a case for some service they offer and is trying to explain to you why you need them, what they're really saying is that they need to be needed. But that's not how it works in Matthew. Jesus, who is the true teacher in Matthew, offers the teaching and you can accept it or reject it. He doesn't need you to accept the teaching. He doesn't need you to agree with him or to like him, and he doesn't need you to not lie about him. It doesn't matter in Matthew, as we'll see in chapter 12.
1: If the teaching makes you sad and crushes your ego, the teacher has an obligation to make you sad and crush your ego. The teacher who makes a crushing teaching nice and palatable— is someone who betrays the teaching.
0: If you need your student, okay, I want to stress this. If you need something from your student as a teacher, you can't help yourself. You will make the teaching more palatable. When you do that, you are not protecting what is holy. It is no longer pure because you have either added something to it or subtracted something from it. And worse, when you do that and suddenly you have a broader audience because what you're offering is somehow more palatable and less unacceptable than what was entrusted to you, when you do that, you are then preying upon the weaker brother to satisfy your needs because you're making it palatable so that more people will come. And you do so under the guise that you're helping the weak, but you're actually exploiting them. It's very subtle. If you take yourself out of the equation and you protect what is holy and you don't throw it to the dogs, if you keep what you received pure, it says what it says. And you relay it in the same way that Jesus operates in the Gospel of Matthew, and people can take it or leave it. So now, with this in mind, you have to beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And how do you identify a false prophet? You listen first to what comes out of their mouth. Is it verbatim? the same content that is written in the text, yes or no? That's the first question. The second question comes in verse 16. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? And here, Richard, it's hard not to betray a foreknowledge of the Gospel of Matthew because we will see the outcome of the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees, and it will be contrasted with the outcome of the teaching of Jesus Christ. And one teaching will produce sickness, and the other teaching will produce healing and life.
1: Discerning what the teacher is actually teaching is important, because all throughout this sermon, Jesus has been undermining the ability of human beings to discern what's going on around them. I mean, don't forget, in the very beginning, you're not supposed to pray where people can see you pray. You're not supposed to fast so that other people can see that you're fasting, and you aren't even able to tell when you yourself are giving alms or doing righteous deeds. You aren't allowed to judge because the more you think you're able to see to judge, you are no longer capable of even seeing your own inability to see. So this whole time, Jesus has been undermining the hearer's ability to see. When you see a teacher who looks and sounds innocent and meek and mild like a sheep, you can't actually know. And this is why Jesus is saying you have to beware, because some of those sheep only have sheep clothing on inside. They're actually wolves. So there's a wolf who looks like a sheep. Now, how can you tell the difference? Just like you said, Father, know them by their fruits. What is the teaching coming out of their mouth? Are they attracting big crowds? If they are, you have to be careful about that. Are they going beyond what the teaching is saying? Are they engaging in idle arguments? Are they pushing the word onto people, or are they simply following what the teaching is saying and repeating what it says?
0: So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Here, the Lord is providing very straightforward and intelligible criteria for evaluating the worth and the value of a teacher. And for that matter, the worth and the value of any believer. I can't stand this custom when people talk about how nice it is just to be. The only time in a person's life that that's an acceptable attitude is when you're in the womb. Because there's nothing you can do when you're in the womb except wait until your mother makes you functional. (laughs) By giving birth to you. But once she gives birth to you, you now have to make yourself useful. Scripture may not demand success of its adherents, but it does demand utility. We must be useful. There is such a thing as a wasted life, according to Scripture. You have to bear fruit, you have to be productive, there has to be output. In a very literal sense, that should be intelligible to Americans who work in the corporate world. You measure performance not just by output. There has to be output. If someone's not producing output, you put them on a performance review. But even if there's output, you then have to evaluate the quality of the output. It's not rocket science. So you, as a teacher, are responsible to be productive, and what you produce. Has to be of a specific quality. This is performance management according to the Gospel of Matthew.
1: And what's fascinating about the way that you measure this performance is in the end, what kind of tree it is actually becomes secondary because the primary thing is the fruit. What does it produce? Is it a good tree? Is it a bad tree? I don't know, but it produces good fruit. So you want to tell me it's a bad tree when it's producing good fruit? You can't tell me that. It doesn't make sense. Well, it's producing bad fruit, but it's really a good tree. I don't understand. If I have a garden and I only have so much space in my garden, and I have a fantastic tree that produces terrible fruit, I can't afford to keep this great tree because as a farmer, I need the fruit. And so how good is the tree when it produces bad fruit? Irrelevant it's only the fruit it really becomes just the fruit and this is what's fantastic because jesus himself as we see throughout the book of matthew is willing to give up himself for the sake of his fruit which is his teaching he himself the tree is almost irrelevant when it comes to simply the fruit that it produces jesus is not what's important it's what jesus teaches that's important it's the fruit
0: a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So you can't question Jesus when he heals somebody. He obviously helped this person who was blind and deaf, or will help this person, as we'll see. So how can you question whether or not he's working for the devil when the outcome of what he's doing is valid and correct? A simple, logical person Can discern that the scribes and the Pharisees are lying because they're trying to protect their own skin and to serve their own agenda. What I love about Matthew is while it may be difficult, Richard, it's straightforward. It is not difficult to understand what he's saying in verse 18. If you have difficulty understanding it, it's because you're trying to weasel your way out of it. But a good tree can't produce bad fruit if you're frustrated with your children, look in the mirror. This is what Jesus is saying. I know it's unpleasant, but it's scriptural. If there's a problem with the child's behavior, you have to hold the parent accountable. If there's a problem with the disciple, you have to hold the teacher accountable.
1: This is why looking at intentions is problematic. You can say that the child was mean to the other child, but you say, oh, but it didn't mean to be so cruel." He didn't know that it was going to hurt his feelings so badly. Okay, fine. But the air traffic controller, who's working at his job and doing a bad job of it, oh, he didn't mean to have those planes crash into each other. Uh, Okay, but (laughs) what he intended, how good of a guy he is... You know, maybe he's good at making barbecue. Maybe he's a great barbecue person. Maybe he's so kind with what he does for people, but that doesn't matter when his job is to keep planes from smashing into each other as an air traffic controller. When we come to the gospel, if the person's job is to teach the gospel and the gospel isn't coming out of that person, you can't say, "Oh, he had good intentions. Does't matter what his intentions are. If the gospel's not coming out, he's not for the gospel. It's that simple.
0: Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, straightforward. So what do we know? We know you're supposed to treat others as you would have them treat yourself. We know that following that teaching and not judging others and protecting what is holy by not adding or subtracting to it is very difficult. Jesus refers to this as the narrow way. The narrow way with respect to obedience to Scripture is defined by Matthew in the Gospel of Matthew. And now he's challenging us to beware of false prophets, people who make themselves look as though they're going through the narrow gate, but in fact are adding to Scripture left and right in order to serve their agenda. They are defiling what is holy, and they are dangerous Remember that if Matthew is talking about wolves, if he's referring to Paul's opponents metaphorically as wolves, they are wolves that are coming in to attack the flock. It's the shepherdism paradigm. And now we are hearing that the master will do what must be done in order to safeguard the flock. And that means anyone who is not bearing fruit will be cast out, will be thrown into the fire. And the ravenous wolves are the ones who don't bear fruit because they're false teachers. They're the ones whose teaching not only doesn't bear fruit, it bears bad fruit. It's a corrupting teaching. And in order to save the flock, the Lord will do what must be done. And being put out of the Lord's flock is bad news.
1: A landowner has to make difficult decisions with these trees. A lot of times when people read these and try to apply them to people. They think it's a punishment for being bad. No, it's simply a reality for not being useful. If you think of the metaphor itself of the landowner, he doesn't decide which trees he likes and dislikes or which tree he loves and which tree he hates. No, he's only got so many hours in the day. He's only got so many acres of his garden. He has to make difficult decisions so he can feed his family. It's math. If the prophet comes in and isn't teaching, you have to get rid of that teacher because you need a teacher who's teaching Scripture. You don't have time to listen to somebody else. You don't have time to gather a bunch of fruit that's completely inedible. It makes no sense. You have no time to work on a field that doesn't produce anything for anybody. The goal of the teacher is to make sure that Everything he says is a fruit of this teaching, and the listener has to discern that everything that comes from this teacher is the fruit of Scripture. The one who listens must discern too, but primarily it's the role of the teacher to be certain that everything that comes from his mouth is this teaching. Otherwise, he's a pseudo a pseudo prophet, a false prophet.
0: It's very important, Richard, in chapter 7, which is insistent upon the admonition that we are not to judge, that we understand this section of Matthew 7 correctly. We are being trained how to evaluate the quality of teaching. At the same time, as teachers, we are being warned about the consequences of false teaching. And false teaching is not one theology versus the other theology. False teaching is any utterance that adds to or subtracts from the content of Scripture. So you have to listen to make sure that they are not adding or subtracting to the content of the written word. And then, according to Matthew, you need to look at the condition of their students and look at the outcome the teaching that came from their lips is producing in the world. And that is how you safeguard yourself according to scripture, but more importantly, that is how the Lord safeguards his flock. So then you will know them by their fruits. This is really what it comes down
1: to. You have to discern the fruits. What's funny is that people want to go with people who stroke their egos. That is why the wide way is full, and the narrow way doesn't have very many people on it. That is why A wolf can come in dressed up like a sheep because people want something that's easy and something that's popular and can feed their ego as opposed to crush their ego. People want to use emotions to make this decision. People want emotions to discern which is a good tree and which is a bad tree. They want to say, oh, when this person comes to speak, I feel so good. Therefore, it must be true. Okay, that leads you on the wide way. Oh, this person is so kind and so humble. Maybe, unless he's actually a wolf dressed up like a sheep. You can't use how the person makes you feel as a way of deciding whether they're telling the truth or not. You have to look at what they produce. What is the word that they're uttering? This is what matters. Actually, if the word is crushing you, there may be good fruit then coming, because this is what Scripture is trying to do. If the word is leading you on the narrow way, the one that leads away from Pharaoh and captivity and to the law of the Lord and the yoke that is easy and light, then maybe this is a good tree because the fruit are good. But you can't use emotion. You're not allowed to use emotion to decide because here's what happens. You get someone who's teaching the word and they're loud and they're mean. Ooh, we know to stay away from people like that. No, 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 no. It doesn't say be careful of wolves. That's easy. You know to be careful of wolves. Be careful of wolves that are dressed up like sheep. When someone comes and gives you the word unadulterated and straightforward and you say, ew, that makes me feel bad. That doesn't mean it's bad fruit. In fact, that means it's good fruit because you're now becoming more aware of the word. You're discerning the word better, and you become prepared to actually submit to the word, as opposed to making the word something that just makes you feel good. So, don't use emotion, but use your brain and listen and decide whether the teacher is teaching what Scripture is saying.
0: And with respect to yourself, don't ask whether you're happy or whether you think you're going to be successful. Don't ask any of those silly questions. Just examine your conscience with respect to this teaching, irrespective of how you feel or how other people look at you or what they say about you. Setting all of that aside, examine your conscience. Are you making good use of the time? Are you productive? Are you producing an output according to the commandment of Scripture? And are you examining your conscience always against this text? And how does what you produce stand up against the high standards of the narrow path in the Gospel of Matthew? Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.